Listener advisory. This is just a stupid podcast we're doing for shits and giggles. So we apologize to any of you poor bastards that have to be subjected to, well, you know, all of this. If you stick around long enough, I'm sure you'll see what I mean. If you find dark humor and discussing awful shit with a bit of levity distasteful, well, how do you exist? Seriously, you must have a secret and I don't even want it. But really, this podcast will not be for you. And you'd probably be better off listening to any of the more somber-toned true crime podcasts that are available. For those of you still listening, you sick and twisted fucks, welcome to the worst. If we did this right, hopefully you won't like yourself by the end, but you'll laugh. So happy it's Parafora-esque. It's all I'm host of. It's all I'm host of. Oh my god. Poop this out of my brain and then purge it. Yeah. The poop and purge. Purge it with some Richard Chase. Yes. That is the next one I'm doing. God damn it. <laughs> I'm having some fun and I'm listening here. I'm doing Richard Chase. Yepping people to pieces and eating them. Yeah. Hello and welcome to The Worst, the podcast of everything that is the worst. <laughs> That's a vision into the future there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Mark, and sitting next to me is my lovely wife and co-host, Gina. Oh, that's me. Hello. That is. Hello, and together we are mental illness theater. Constantly. Yes. How are you doing? Oh, good. That's good to hear. You want to hear a story? Yes. Well, today, thank Christ, we're finally doing part four of Lisk and finishing it off. The this monster the series. Series. Yes, I can finally move on and do something else and talk about something else and Courage. dream about something else and never have to think about Lisk again, I'm sure. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Yeah. It will always be there. So when we left off in part three, the SCPD had the remains of 11 people on their hands and little idea what to do. The police chief James Burke had come to power shortly after the body of Shannon Gilbert was found and Burke had made multiple moves that seemed very questionable for an experienced police officer stepping into a high-profile investigation. One might almost say counterproductive. <laughs> That's being nice about it. Yeah. Into this was added the strange relationship between Burke with Suffolk County DA Tom Spoda and the allegations that Burke was not the cleanest cop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the proven allegations that he's not the cleanest cop. Yeah, I mean, there are proven ones, that's for sure. James Burke acted exactly like everyone expected when he took over as chief. First, there was the dismissal of most of the investigators, which we've talked about, where he just walked in and cleaned out house and didn't even take any fucking exit interviews as he did so. See ya. So, yeah, he got rid of everyone who knew anything about the list case and just brought in his own people. Yeah, well, yeah. they're better than them. I said so. Yeah, apparently I so. hire good people. And that's actually how I forget who it was. I think it was Dominic Verone said. Or it might have been the guy who mentioned the uh, porn, or the, the snuff films that we talked about in part three. Right. Said that basically James Jimmy Burke just thought he knew better than everyone. And that's why he could do his own thing. He just knew. Like, fuck you, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And that was totally his attitude. So it's funny you should say that. Because, yeah, other people have said that's exactly... How he operated. He doesn't have an ego at all. No, absolutely not. The healthy ego of the mediocre white man. And once Burke settled into his position, the SCPD was run by an inner ring consisting of him, D.A. Tom Spoda, and the man that basically took Burke's old position, old position under Spoda as his personal investigator, a guy named Christopher McPartland along with a few other lower-level officers. Right. But these were the big three who basically ran the SCPD. Burke and this inner ring would regularly float the rules of the department, along with just the general law. Well, and it we're above the law. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. That's how it went. And it quickly became known that to cross Burke was to risk your career. Yeah. Yeah. Suffolk County police officers would later tell investigators that, quote, they regularly performed personal favors for Burke while on duty, which included the illegal, like installing a GPS device on one of Burke's political opponents, 
in an attempt to gain information that Burke could use to force that official out of office. So he literally told one of these officers, go plant this illegal bug on this fucking enemy of mine. And anything I find, I'm going to use to fucking get him, like, fired. Yeah. Yeah. That's reasonable. That is not reasonable yeah, for a right. fucking police chief. I am above the law. He is above the law. And once again, this isn't just allegations. This was all proven in a federal court years later. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. That's that's just it. Like absolutely proven when he's he, spoiler alert, but when he's taken out as police chief, he also has a couple charges to answer to, and this all comes out, yeah. which is just great. But even now, we don't know how much Burke, Spoda, and their cronies worked together to slow down or or hinder the list case. And if they did, why they did. Exactly. But considering what was proven about how he ran the SCPD, and we're going to talk about that, it wouldn't be hard for Burke to do so if he pleased. Like, if he decided to. Then he could. And that, that's why this is important. Because it yeah. shows that if he decides to do shit like this, he's going to do shit like yeah. this. Yeah. As we mentioned at the end of part three, there was little movement in the case from the time Burke takes over until well after he's out of office. So way after. You remember. Gina remembers. I do. <laughs> How was that? <sighs> Waiting for information. It's weird because, you know, I'm a little bit autistic with a special interest in true crime and missing people. Yeah. And this is your jam. Yeah, it's very frustrating when there's, you know, what seems like should be further investigation in a case and it just stalls. Yeah. That is so frustrating. It's kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. WTF, mate. And so it was just, I remember being relieved that maybe, maybe whoever came in next would at least pick There it might up be again. some advancements. Yeah. yeah. Wrong. <laughs> but even though nothing moved in the case, that's not to say everything went smoothly for Burke during this time. In late 2012, an incident occurred that would cause the eventual downfall of Burke, D.A. Tom Spoda, and the inner ring that ruled the SCPD. On a night in mid-December 2012, Long Island native Christopher Loeb was breaking into vehicles when he happened across a large SUV that belonged to James Burke. Loeb got into the vehicle and found a dark duffel bag inside, which he grabbed before just taking off. Basically, this guy, he is a heroin addict, and he's just breaking into cars for heroin money. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there have been conflicting reports about what exactly was in this duffel bag, but it at least contained a pink sex toy, which has been said to be a butt plug. So, nice pink butt plug. I sold pink butt plugs. I'm sure you did. Yeah handcuffs, and multiple porn DVDs. Other reports have said the bag... It's like a good go bag. Yeah, <laughs> it does. That's a good one. I got my butt plug and my porn and That's fucking okay, handcuffs. I'm set. I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> We're, I got plans tonight. I don't know what your plans are, honey, but you're on your own. <laughs> Other reports have said the bag also contained a gun, an ammo belt, a box of cigars, and a humidor. The majority of the porn DVDs were labeled, so they had a label on them and you could tell what they were. But Loeb found one with no label and he put it in his DVD player to see what was on it. As one does. Now we should, if we have any younger listeners, which we might, I have no fucking idea. DVD players are old school. <laughs> like, you had a disc that had the video on it and you yeah. had to feed it into a machine and even worse were VCRs right because VCRs you had a tape like a cassette tape you fed into this machine and the machine would eat it it would get angry at your most valued tapes and eat them <laughs> yes I know those oh I remember yeah I remember Loeb said he watched for about two minutes and quote I saw a guy with a mask on torturing a girl a prostitute she was tied behind her back. Makeup was running down her back. She was scared to death. In short, Loeb was describing a snuff film. Although the makeup down the back, 
Yeah, I checked that out a couple times, and that's definitely what he said. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. That's you saw my face. Yeah. Yeah, that that's what the face was. Cause I was like, makeup down her back. Yeah. Makeup down her face, but makeup down her back. Is yeah, that's how I wrote it at first, and I was like, yeah, wait, wait, let me double check that. And I was like, no, he said down the back. That's weird. That yeah. was really weird. Love was freaked out by this, but he had no idea what to do with the DVD. Which makes sense, because A, he might not have known who the fuck this person was, right? Like, I don't know who's fucking SUV this was. was. Yeah, I'm just stealing shit, man. I'm just looking for money for drugs. Exactly. but if Also, it, I'm a drug addict. Yeah. But if it had a gun and an ammo belt, he might have known it was a police officer, which would have made him, there's no fucking way... I'm going forward with some cop snuff film. Depending on the gun, gun and ammo belt, because, I mean, that could be a civilian gun and That's ammo That's true, belt too. too. Yeah. Now, to be clear, this snuff film has never been seen by anyone but Loeb, and considering his background, it might have been easy to disregard his claim as outlandish if it weren't for the response of Burke and the SCPD. If they would have just fucking left this mm -hmm. and been like dude you're a heroin addict you obviously steal shit no one's gonna believe you yeah like instead <laughs> but instead on december 14th 2012 the scpd showed up at the house Loeb shared with his mother in smithtown long island and although this was the arrest of a heroin addict for breaking into cars once again pretty low level stuff james burke was there to personally arrest Loeb. Like, I've seen other reports that said he wasn't, but I'm pretty sure he was fucking there. Which might have something to do with one of the rumors that it was his SUV. No, it wasn't a rumor. It was his SUV that he stole it from. It's just Loeb I don't think knew. He's just stealing from SUVs and cars that are open or he can get into, right? He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But no, I would agree that, though, this was definitely fucking his SUV that it was stolen from. Because the reason Jimmy Burke was there was literally to get this bag back. Because this is one of the weird things. As soon as Loeb was arrested, Jimmy Burke took the bag and he did not file it as evidence. Instead, he just took it and it was never seen again, nor were its contents. Hmm. So, the police chief shows up at this guy's house to during an arrest for fucking theft. And what evidence is there, he just takes. And it's never seen again. So that's interesting. Yeah. What's also interesting is that Loeb was then taken to the local police station where he was beaten, chained to the floor, and beaten some more by Burke and members of his inner ring. And this was in particular three officers, Kenneth Bombass, James Hickey, and Anthony Leto. Just naming them because they're going to come up again. True to his nature, Burke took the lead in the beatings because he was viciously pissed off that some smack addict had stolen from him, plus what he had stolen from him. Burke threatened to give Loeb a hot shot, which is a fatal dose of heroin, before telling him he could have his entire family killed if he wanted to. I mean... Yeah. Loeb shot back that he had seen the snuff film, and Burke was a pervert for having it. Which, I mean, fair enough. And then Loeb spat at Burke. And apparently... Burke that was a bad move. Lost his fucking mind. He started screaming and beating Loeb much worse than he had been before, to the point that a couple of officers had to pull Burke off of Loeb. Like, physically tear him off, because he was going to kill him. Yeah. Period. He was going to beat this chained man in a police precinct. To death. To death, in front of other officers. Yep. Back the blue. Mm. Mm. They're good people. I also no, found it. Yeah, I also found it weird that at one point, if I understand this right, for a simple theft charge, at one point Loeb's bail was a half million dollars. So they also fucked with him through the courts too. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. They just didn't beat the shit out of him. They fucking set this ridiculous bail that, of course, he wasn't going to be able to pay. So he had to sit in fucking jail. Yeah. Yeah. In early 2013, Loeb reported his treatment at the hands of the SCPD to the U.S. Justice, 
U.S. Justice Department. Fuck, that's hard to say. U.S. Justice Department. Thank you. And Burke's reaction to this accusation was to close ranks and obstruct any investigation into his mishandling of Loeb. What? Just fucking lie, deny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he goes off. I didn't do that. Mm. If I did, it wasn't that bad. As soon as they became aware of the investigation, they started putting together a narrative that painted Loeb as a junkie thief who couldn't be believed. Wow. And this went well beyond Burke and the other three officers involved, as D.A. Spoda's henchman, Christopher McPartland, was the architect of the entire cover-up. Wow. Yep. He's the one who put all the fucking pieces in play and made sure, nope, you're saying this and you're saying this and we all have our stories together. Make sure you stick to the narrative. And it was all through this henchman of fucking Spodas. Yeah. Ducks? Row. Yeah. And this guy is basically the guy who engineered that whole process. If you're going to lie, at least make sure you have a good convincing lie that everyone's right? sticking to. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> You're savvy. I wrote your story for you. Here you go. He's savvy. Is he? Mm-hmm. This case would take years to come before the court, and in that time, more charges were just added on top for Spoda oh, yeah. and fucking Burke because all the obstruction. <laughs> okay, here's another one for you. Tom Spoda and McParland were accused of using, quote, intimidation and corrupt persuasion to pressure one or more witnesses not to cooperate and to provide false information regarding the assault on Loeb. So, That's a big deal. That is. Not only did they tell people not to cooperate, they told people to give false fucking yeah. information. That's huge. Coming from the DA and his henchmen? Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it is. It seems this strategy backfired for Burks and a ring, as by the time the case came to trial, Officers Bombas, Leto, and Hickey, the other three involved the night of Loeb's beating, had all left the police department or retired, and all three testified against Burke, Spoda, and McParland. So I love that, that the three guys who were involved that night were all out of the police department by the time this comes to court, I think in 2015. And uh, yeah, they all testify against not only what happened the Ooh. night Loeb was beaten, but the cover-up involved. That tells you how fucking bad it is. Well, we also don't have to cover for our own asses anymore because we're not trying to keep our career going. We're already out. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why would you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get why you would, too. You know what I mean? Because that's why it kind of... Like, I get why they did it when they retired. But still, it is a thing for the... They're not going to have many cop friends after. No, a, fuck no. So it's still kind of a big thing to come forward and say, no, yeah, this is what happened. Like, I get I don't have a career to lose anymore, but still, I have shit I'm losing by doing this. But oh, it, yeah. this is important because this man is, should not be police chief. No, this is a bad man. <laughs> Anthony Leto testified that he went along with Burke because, quote, I feared for everything, my job, my partners, my well-being, my family, everything. James Hickey added, if you cross Tom Spoda, Chris McParland, or Jimmy Burke, you cross them all. They will destroy you, personally, financially, criminally. They will go after your family. They know no bounds. So, yeah. Basically... <laughs> They're horrifying. That's a lot. Yeah. That sounds like our crime family, which yeah, it fucking right? is, basically. Yeah. I'm. We might get sued for this one, for slander. <sighs> in 2016, James Burke pleaded guilty, and he was sentenced to 46 months in jail. Christopher McParland was sentenced to five years for his role in the cover-up, and Tom Spoda was convicted of witness tampering, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy. He begged for leniency and said before his sentencing, quote, I hope not to die in prison alone. Before, oh. Yeah, before he was slapped with a five-year sentence and a $100,000 fine. Yes. Should have been longer yeah. and worse. Seriously, that's nothing. Now this is... I mean, it's not nothing, but... Come on. Yeah, this motherfucker should die in prison. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, even though this whole 
thing is completely unrelated to the list case. It certainly shows how Burke ran the SCPD and how corrupt the entire police yeah. force was under him as a whole. As fuck. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Corrupt as fuck. Now, we're going to get into a little bit more here. James Burke had an affair with a woman named Heather Malone, a married woman in the early 2000s, or in the 2000s. I do believe James Burke is also married at the time, so, so double scummy. Yeah. Now, according to Malone's, not Malone's wife, according to Malone's husband... Hey, you never know. No, it was, I think his name is Guy. Guy Malone, I'm pretty sure. There's an interview with him. He claimed that Heather was a pimp who ran a prostitution ring with Burke. Wouldn't surprise me. Exactly. And there's not a whole lot about it, but he claimed Heather Malone ran a prostitution service, basically through a beeper, you know, to keep a low profile. Right. And then she met James Burke, and they really amplified it when they... Hooked up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now there's... Because now I've got... The police, which will help me cover and legitimize that. And, you know, Jimmy Burke knows his way around a lot of people who might be involved in that type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes sense, especially where, you know, he's already been busted with a hooker. Yeah. So I usually wouldn't, I mean, I don't put much into this, but in 2020, the SCPD announced the discovery of a belt that they believed to be connected to the list case. They said that the belt didn't belong to any of the victims and that it probably belonged to someone involved. I remember the belt. In at least some of the murders. Now, this belt is a worn black belt with embossing on the back. This embossing has been, has been interpreted as either an HM or an MH. Which, if you look at it as HM, it could be Heather Malone. Right. That has been a rumor that has been going around a bit. So I thought it was worth adding. It is. It is. Because, I mean, Heather Malone's husband, not wife, <laughs> says that she was running this prostitution ring with James Burke. And a belt is found that they say is not connected to the victims and probably connected to at least one of the killers. Yeah. Yeah. That may or may not have her initials on it. Yeah. I mean, it's a tenuous connection, but it's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. It's not proven, but it's... It proves yeah. nothing. Exactly. But, you know, it's it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be added to the story. In four parts, we're, we're adding as much as we can. Less than a year after the ousting of Burke from the SCPD, there was another strange occurrence that wasn't directly linked to the case, but totally worth mentioning. Pretty much for horrificness, too. Yeah. On July 22nd or 23rd, 2016, I wasn't clear about the date, Mary Gilbert was found dead in Ellenville, New York, and this is the mother of Shannon Gilbert. And it was very obvious she had been murdered. Yeah. Yeah. The cause of death was a little hard to figure out at first, as Mary's skull had been crushed with a fire extinguisher, and she had been stabbed multiple times. Yeah. But either way, Mary was very, very dead. No matter what, she had a horrific end. When I said multiple times, I meant way multiple. Oh, God, yeah. Overkill to the max. I don't know how they counted this many. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at a certain point, it just becomes hamburger, right? Like, you slash human meat enough. Ugh. According to John Ray, the lawyer representing the Gilbert family, Mary had been stabbed a total of 227 times. That is so many. Which means Mary was cut to ribbons. Yeah, that is so many times. It didn't take the police long to realize that Mary had been killed by her daughter Sarah, the other daughter Mary had left in foster care along with Shannon, and the overkill was due to Sarah's overriding mental illness. Yeah. Sarah was a very sick schizophrenic who had a very, or who had very violent tendencies, and she had been previously hospitalized due to her illness. She was diagnosed as a schizophrenic in 2014, but it doesn't seem like a lot was done for her. Which is very sad. It is, and there were a lot of red flags leading up to Mary's murder. Yeah. That indicated. Even sadder. Yeah, that Sarah was not doing very well. She had previously killed a family pet in front of her eight-year-old child. Which is 
Uh, That's as red flag as you get. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, Sarah couldn't understand why people were upset with her for doing this. Which is another red flag. Like, holy shit. Get this person help. You know what I've never done? Any of that. (laughs) No, get this person help. (sighs) Because this is what we do, you know? People vivisect a cat in front of a small child all the time. Why is everyone so upset? Because that's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But Sarah wasn't done yet. Next, she was caught taking her child into the woods with the intention of killing him. But even with these incidents leading up to Mary's murder, it seems like little was done to actually help Sarah and her mental state. Of course. On the day of the murder, Sarah called her sister Cherie and said that she was hearing voices in her head. I'm hearing (sighs) voices again. Cherie was worried about her sister and she called Mary to let her know Sarah wasn't getting on so well. Yeah. And that's when Mary made the fateful decision to go over to Sarah's and see if she was okay. Which, you know, yeah. is a very mom thing to do. Right? She, yeah. Yeah. And that's how she ended up being stabbed and right. bludgeoned horribly to death. Later, when Sarah was describing the attack, she said she kept stabbing her mother because, in her mind, Mary's body kept coming back to life. Which is such a, like... Uh, it's a very schizophrenic... Yeah. We were talking about this today because, you know, and I'm getting into Richard Chase for one of our next episodes. But don't get me wrong, schizophrenics are not violent as a whole. No. They're probably. Absolutely not. I made the joke that's probably not even a joke. Schizophrenics probably get murdered more than they murder. Yeah. But Jesus, when they do, it is fucking like. It is horrifying. Yeah, like you said, Vince Lee eating. Dude on the Greyhound bus, like this, stabbing your mother 227 times because she keeps getting up, and then you finish it off with a fire extinguisher. Like, it's always bad. Richard Chase blending people up and fucking eating their organs. It's not good when, yeah. Yeah, when six schizophrenics go violent, it's it doesn't happen very often, thank God. But, yeah. you know... They don't need that stigma. I'm not trying no, to do that. absolutely not. Yeah, because I've known a couple schizophrenics, and yeah. they weren't violent at all, no. like, at whatsoever. Like, I was more worried about something happening to them than them doing something bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's way more common. That's just it. But yeah. wow, when they do, it's something like this. Yeah. yeah. Which is why there's such a stigma, which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Vince Lee sticks out. Right? Yeah. Stabbing your mother 227 times sticks out. It really does. And that's pretty much where the story sits now. Like, that's it. After Mary Gilbert's death and the finding of the belt with HM or MH, that's where we sit. There's no resolution here. No, they released the call recently. They released some new footage of one of the victims. Uh, Megan Waterman. But it really... They had mentioned they had the footage because they knew relatively old reports were saying, yeah, we have this footage of her and it's exactly what they reported that. Yeah. And it doesn't add anything to. It really doesn't. Even uh, Shannon Gilbert's 911 call added more. Whereas this is just a couple frames of a blonde girl in a hotel lobby. Yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't add anything to work from. Yeah. And this is where we get into one of the big controversies of this. Beyond, we've talked enough about the fucked up investigation. Yeah. You can take that for what it is. And we're going to talk about James Burr. It's a mess. But is this w- the work of one or two or more serial killers? Exactly. First thing, if you're getting into LISC, you have to make a decision on what do you think. It all starts with, is Shannon Gilbert connected? Because if not then if she is connected, we can look directly at Brewer and Hackett and Pack as the first three people we should be looking for information and whatnot because they were the last three people with some kind of contact with her. Maybe not Hackett so much, but he... Except for the fact that she's in his yard. She's in his yard. He makes the calls. He uh, deals with Diaz. himself into this in so many ways. So if she is connected, we look at those three. But if she's not connected then those three might have nothing to do with Lisk. Right. If she's connected, those three might still have nothing to do with Lisk if she's connected to Heather Malone. 
That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if she's not, I mean, if she's just a... She's working as an escort. Chances are she may know someone. And I know a lot of people don't want to say, uh, you know, coincidences don't happen, right? Like, that can't be. But our very first episode, Englewood, involved two serial killers in Chicago who worked in the same small patch and had a virtually identical M.O. Yeah. So, coincidences happen. Yeah, they do. So, I mean, that's a tough one. Because yeah. I know where I sit, but I can also make arguments against it. Exactly. Because the one I've always thought of, like, I feel strongly she is connected. Me but too. if we believe, and if there are phone records of this, of the call between Joe Brewer and Michael Pack. So remember the way back in part one, mm-hmm. where Shannon Gilbert calls Michael Pack and says, Go out and get me lube and playing cards and some massage oil. And Michael Pack says, I don't know where that shit is. This is the middle of nowhere. And she gets kind of upset with him and says, just go home. I'll find my way home. Pack then calls Shannon, gets no answer. He then calls Brewer, gets no answer. Brewer calls him back and says, stay, man, just stick around. If Brewer's involved and wanted to kill Shannon Gilbert, why did he tell Pack to stay around? Exactly. That kind of makes me kind of think that maybe it's not connect it because if he had something nefarious planned and her driver was like yeah you know uh, she told me to leave should i leave you're gonna jump on that and be like yeah you should leave man yeah yeah i have a grave in the back with her name on it yeah you could just go now leaning towards her being connected which i tend to believe more which i think i mentioned in part two is that megan waterman and amber costello the two victims that go missing after shannon gilbert two of the gilgo four both don't take their phones with them and we know amber lynn costello was told straight out don't bring your phone which makes me wonder with Shannon's 911 call if someone hadn't smartened up and been like, I don't want that to happen again. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the first decisions if you're getting deep into Lesk. Is Shannon Gilbert connected at least Mm. to any of this? Or is she just a one-off? Right. Now, past that, the Gilgo Four and the second sets of remains that are found, are they connected? Because the second sets are dismembered very badly on the whole. Right. Gilgo 4 aren't. They're intact. They're all in a pack. Right? Whereas the second batch, we have some in Manorville. We have some out in Fire Island. We have some in Nassau County. They're much more spread out. And just pieces of the same person are spread out. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. So that's very different. Yeah. And even though it seems like most of the women seem to fit the victimology from the second batch compared to the Gilgo 4, the baby certainly doesn't. Exactly. And the unidentified Asian male, whether he was transgender or not, does not fit. And the baby being basically with someone who isn't her mother, and her mother being in two other places involved in pieces is so fucking weird. And the second place she's found like that other park's not connected like the other one manorville you had two found close to each other and then also found close to each other on gilgo beach whereas the remains found in the 90s i think it was 97 are found up in hempstead fucking yeah it's like what the fuck is going on here yeah so that's a whole nother debate is this the work of one or two I don't know. That's what I said at the very start of this. I, I do believe I started with, I will have no answers. Yep. I mean, I tend towards the Shannon Gilbert is connected to the Gilgo Four. Yep. But are the Gilgo Four connected to what yeah. I call, I hate to call it, I don't think it's too, but the second batch mm. that's found. I don't know. Because I do have one interesting theory, too, which we'll get to. Because now we're hitting suspects. And we will get back to theories, but now we roll in the suspects. So first we have Joe Brewer, the guy who, like, I'm going to start with the three around Shannon Gilbert and then work out. Right. Right. So we have Joe Brewer. He's the last person seen with Shannon Gilbert. He has a reputation for partying and having girls over all the time. Now, most of what he said is actually proven by Shannon's 911 call. Yeah. 
Like, he even admitted, yeah, I physically tried to get her out of the house at one point, and, you know, she resisted, and I stopped. And that's what that sounds like. Because Shannon Gilbert's not a big woman. I'm sure if Joe Brewer wanted to physically get her out, he could have. Yeah. So, you know. The call kind of shows his no obvious lies on his part on that end. Then there's Michael Pack. Everything he said was disproven by the 911 call. Yeah. Literally everything he said turned out yeah. to be absolute horseshit. Yeah, he doesn't seem to know how to tell the truth. It's very strange. <laughs> it's, it is, because he didn't look for Shannon. He didn't seem to talk to Gus Coletti. And it sounds like he was in the house when Brewer tried to get Shannon out. Yeah. We don't hear him, like, yelling Shannon's name during Shannon's 911 call, which he said he was doing for yeah, a fucking hour. Which, if she's outside running around and he's chasing around too at some point he should be close enough that you can hear him yes anything he's yelling any he's indication it's late at night yeah or early in the morning but you know still yeah, yeah it's you know yeah you like i mentioned you to can hear free dawn out you can hear birds at a couple points and if yeah. he's yelling you know i yeah, he should be yelling louder than the birds. Right. If you're yelling for a missing person that you want to find, you're yelling loud. You should be able to hear that. Yeah. There's none of that. So, I mean, that just brings him up. Why are there so many lies about what you said happened that morning? Well, I was actually driving around a gated community, so I didn't want to yell. <laughs> we live in a gated community. <laughs> and then there's Dr. Peter Hackett. He was cleared as a suspect very, very early in the investigation. Mm. Many believe it might have been a mistake to clear him so fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was actually um, Dominic Verone saying he was an individual who liked to get involved. Some call him a storyteller and an exaggerator. And there is one story. Do you know the TWA 800 story that he had? No. <laughs> this was from the List podcast. And apparently, okay, TWA 800 was a plane that went down basically off of New York into, like, where Long Island is-ish. Yeah. In 96 or 97? Basically, it went into the air, the nose came off. There's a lot of controversy about what really brought it down. Right. Fucking... Oh, I remember. Dr. Peter Hackett claimed... Not only was he part of, like, the recovery and whatnot, oh, yeah. but he was actually helicoptered into a patch of wreckage in the ocean to examine a body in the water. Of course he was. Now, apparently he told this story a lot. Not a lick of truth to it. Like, he was involved a bit, but on the shore. Yeah. So, yeah. He might be a bit of a storyteller. He never really answered questions about why he called Mary Gilbert. And the reason has changed. He's tried to deny it at points. And then he'll say it was a joke. And, no, I did it. Well, I didn't do it. Well, I didn't mean to do it. And never a straight answer for the, like, why he called Mary Gilbert. Which is just, dude. We were talking about red flags. That's a red flag. Yeah, why the fuck are you calling the mother of a missing person? <laughs> and inserting yourself into this situation. When yeah. Yeah, like, if you know nothing about this, don't call, like... Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Come on. And like we mentioned, um, Mary filed a wrongful de death suit against Hackett. Yep. Yeah, because of his claim that he had treated her yeah, the night she went missing. Yeah, you want to stick yourself in this? Well, <laughs> you're in it now, yeah, yeah. buddy. <laughs> and a point made by John Ray. I don't blame her one bit. Yeah, and this is a pretty good point. John Ray, the lawyer for the Gilbert family made a really good point. If Hackett really wanted to know what happened to Shannon, why didn't he call Shannon himself? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really good point. Then afterwards, he totally avoided talking to the press. Like, just, I will not talk to you. To the point that, okay, if you know Community, the show, you know Pierce faking a heart attack, he basically did that in front of news cameras. I there's footage of him on the fucking ground, like, clutching that. his heart and being like, oh, my fucking pacemaker. I remember <laughs> that, that. I almost, I watched that at work. I almost shit myself. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? He pulled my pears. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I remember that. 
And there's also a lot of suspicion, if we remember back to part one, um, where Pax said they left, that would be Brewer and Shannon left the house for about 15 minutes, mm -hmm. which isn't long enough to go to to get to a drugstore, but it is long enough to get to Peter Hackettson back. And there has been speculation they might have got drugs from him that night, and that's how he might have known yeah. what was going on. Once again, he's the only doctor in town and in the area, and everybody fucking knows him. Yeah, he's the guy who can get stuff done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He's the visible body. <sighs> and then, you know, like you mentioned, Shannon's body was found in the swamp behind Hackett's house. Mm -hmm. So basically just keep walking through his backyard. And, and weren't her pants found closer to yep, his house? Absolutely. Yeah. They were basically found at just the cusp. Mm -hmm. From my understanding, I might be fucking that up, but from my understanding, it's like at the cusp where his backyard cuts off to the swamp was where her belongings were found. And if you went straight from there, like, yeah, you could, a straight line from his house through the swamp. But yeah, no. <laughs> gonna fake a heart attack <laughs> i'm not a big fan of this guy no fuck i mean either. i don't know how much what are you doing yeah right what are you doing yeah what are you doing i don't know what to say about this fucking goon like yeah, what like, do you say about him Right. It's just so fucked up. Like, usually, too, you can rule people out and be like, oh, they had nothing to do with it. Like, they just inserted I have themselves. so hard of a time ruling anybody out. Like, this is the worst. But even There so are a lot of cases that frustrate me, and this... Now you know why I was like... Oh, this has been a fucking rabbit hole. It's been awful. Now yeah. we can talk about it. Mm. Yeah. Now you finally understand the pain. <laughs> I get it. But yeah, even people who usually insert themselves into investigations the bodies usually aren't found in their fucking backyard right so now we get to a suspect i find pretty interesting john bitrolf in 2014 john bitrolf a carpenter from manorville long island where two of the victims pieces had been found was arrested and convicted for the murders of 31-year-old Rita Tangretti in 1993 and 20-year-old Colleen McNamee in 1994. On January 30, 1994, McNamee's body was found after an anonymous caller told them about a woman's nude body just off the eastbound service road of the Long Island Expressway. Hmm. McNamee was last seen, or it might be McNamee, yeah, it's McNamee now, was last seen on January 5th, 1994, getting into a small blue car in front of the Blue Dawn Diner in Islandia, or Islandia, I'm not sure the pronounced, you know. Yeah. Places right. pronounce their shit weird. Exactly. It looks like Islandia, but... Yeah, it might be Islandia. I'm not sure. At the time of her disappearance, McNamee was an outpatient of the South Shore Treatment Center in Islandia, or Islandia. Both Tangretti and McNamee had been strangled and had sustained severe beatings to the head, and both had a similar build. They were both 5 foot, 120 pounds. Right. They were both known prostitutes, too, both sex workers, and uh, both women had frequented the East Patchogue area and had been arrested for prostitution. This is just 30 miles or 48 kilometers away from Gilgo Beach, so right. not that far. Yeah. And this is fucked in a really weird twist. Rita Tangretti had a young daughter, and this daughter was friends with a then eight-year-old Melissa Bartholomew, one of the Gilgo Four. Don't like that detail. No, it's no. Not a fun coincidence. Yeah. So my question here. Because, I mean, one thing that's floated through my head. I'd He worked as a carpenter, this Bitrolf, John Bitrolf. I'd like to know where he was working between when the Gilgo Four were found and when the second batch were found. Right. Because I'd like to know if he was working in an area where he could see that nothing was being done for a search in that area after finding the Gilgo Four. And I wonder if he had body parts. 
because the first bit, some had been found, but they hadn't linked them to him. And I'm wondering if he had other parts that he decided this is a way to get rid of them because I know no one's looking into this. And if they do, they're going to link it to the Gilgo 4. Were those remains placed there between when they searched for the Gilgo 4 and when they found them, though? That's kind of what I'm saying, but that would also explain how the dog missed all those remains that should have been there before the dog and the officer uh, Malia got to the Gilgo Four. Yeah. Because if you look at it that way, he said he started at just outside of Oak Beach and worked his way down Ocean Parkway. So if he did that, that means he missed all the second batch remains yeah. and bodies before hitting the Gilgo Four. Whereas this way, if those were disposed of afterwards by someone who saw that no search was going on and the SCPD was doing nothing about the four bodies already found and said, I could use this as a way to get remains, getting rid of remains that I don't like where they are. I feel like they're more vulnerable where they are now than putting them right there. Because they might not find them, and if they do, they're just going to chalk it up to whoever did the go-go for, and it's going to complicate the case. So that would mean he'd have to have done it between December 10th and the end of March. Yep. It's an interesting. So that's when I would like to know where he worked. Yeah. Because was he working in a place? Because multiple people who have gone through this, um, Alex Diaz mentions it, Michael Pack mentions it, there was some other fucking person who mentioned it, that when you go through this, like, stretch of highway, it literally looks like out of a movie where someone would dump bodies. Like, it just, look, it's dark, it's straight, there's no one around, it's the perfect spot. There's swamps, there's ocean on one side, swamps on the other. It's the perfect place to get rid of bodies. Yeah. And multiple people I've heard through listening to shit have mentioned that just even offhandedly, like... It just looks like bodies. Mm, like, you got... Yeah. yeah, right, so, I mean, I, I know nothing, but that... I have wondered about that, especially where you have remains that are found in Manorville and then found at Gilgo Beach along the Ocean Parkway. That's an interesting, yeah. Yeah. Something that's gone through my mind from time to time. Mm. Yeah. I have thoughts sometimes. It's not just all grizzle and goo. Well, no, it'd just be interesting to see if there's, you know, need to know kind of date when those remains were placed there. Yeah, well, that's the window, right? And that's what I'm saying. Is there a work record of him being in that area? Is there evidence that those remains have been there for longer and just weren't found? There's not much. I mean, there's a lot of conflict on the condition of all the remains. Yeah. Like, some say that the Gilgo B, or the Gilgo 4, some of them are not decomposed as much as they should be. Mm. So there's a whole rabbit hole of that. Like, what condition were the remains in? Yeah, and what condition were the second batch in? And what condition were they found in? Were yeah. they buried? Were they just... Yeah, like, I've got questions. There's so yeah, little right? on that. Exactly. There's so little actual information on yeah. it. It's just, it, these remains were found on the side of Ocean Parkway, yeah. this far from the last bat or the last, uh, you know, remains found. Which doesn't tell us much. Like you're saying, were they buried? Well, they were in a bag. Well, was the bag buried? Like Yeah, right? Was there clear leaf debris or, you know? Anything. Any details. But nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I find that pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. Had it clearly been there for more than one winter or was it newly just tossed there? Yeah. Because if it's newly tossed there, then that's a really fucking interesting... There's also debate about that and sh the... The items of uh, Shannon Gilbert's that are found, the yeah. uh, the shoes and the handbook and whatnot. Some things that I've seen and read have said they were in pristine shape and had obviously not been out there for that long. Right. 19 months? There's no fucking way. Yeah. So, because I mean, the other thing I've thought too, because my brain goes everywhere, if you were looking to frame someone, Dr. Peter Hackett has stepped in it for you. Yeah. Like he's... Hi! Right there. Yeah. yeah, so if you were looking to get rid of a body and make it look like someone was involved, jam it just off of his backyard? Yeah. Yeah. 
Because he's already involved himself three days after Shannon Gilbert went missing. Exactly. Fuck! I hate this case. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I found a phone in the woods, just um, kind of in the wood line, like forest edge. Yeah. By my condo in Bedford when I was out with uh, walking my friend's dog when she was staying a weekend. Yeah. And she kind of snuffed it up and I was like, oh, what's that? And there's just an iPhone in a case and it didn't work anymore, but it wasn't in pristine condition. Right. And it doesn't take it long. clearly been out there for, you know, at least probably two years. Yeah. But there's no way that you would mistake that for pristine condition. And that's just it. There's so much debate about the condition of remains and people and, like, even the, um, the, the unnamed like, male or the unidentified Asian male, whether he was wearing... those things would be very helpful. Yeah, whether he was actually like wearing the clothes. condition. Yeah, like there's none of that. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't help. And then there was just a weird one. The guy named James Bissett. He was a 48-year-old man who killed himself two days after Shannon's Gilbert, Shannon Gilbert's remains were found. The only thing really linking him to anything was he owned a high-end landscaping company in Long Island, which apparently used the type of burlap sacks the Gilgo Four were found in. Right. Because that is the one consistent. The Gilgo Four were found in burlap sacks that were large ones used for landscaping. Yeah. It's like one of the few details of the type we were just talking about. Which does seem weird, killing yourself, you know, a couple days after, but... Right. It could be completely unrelated, but it's just one of those, it's an outlier. It is. And another outlier and another theory that's been floated is that this is um, related to the Eastbound Strangler case. This is, uh, the bodies of four sex workers were found behind the Golden Key Motel on the outskirts of Atlantic City, New Jersey. Yep. They were found in a drainage ditch filled with shallow water on November 20th, 2006, all of them had been placed face down in a row, facing east about 60 feet apart from each other. Ugh. Yeah. They were clothed except for having their shoes and socks removed. Uh, yeah. Although some of the bodies were too bad. Yeah. Although some of the bodies were too badly gone to determine cause of death, at least one showed signs of asphy asphyxiation. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, aside from a broken hyoid, you really need some tissue. Yeah, and these... Determine petechia and... Yeah. yeah. And these four women went missing very quickly. Uh, just going through them very quickly. Hopefully I get the names right. Barbara... Barbara Bridor was 42. Uh, she worked as a sex worker to, co to basically float her cocaine addiction, which isn't great. She disappeared in October 2006, but was not reported missing for several weeks. Uh, her remains were identified through dental records, and her body was so badly decomposed that no cause of death could be found. Right. Yeah. Molly Jean Diltz was 20 years old and originally from Pennsylvania. She was last seen alive a few days before her disappearance. Um, I don't see any date for the disappearance, though, unfortunately. There's not a lot of info. She was believed to be the first killed, and her body was so badly decomposed that they couldn't yeah, figure out what right it was. Is. Kim Raffo was 35, former waitress and a sex worker. She was seen the day before her body was discovered, and she was believed to be the last of the four victims to be killed, and she was strangled with a rope or cord. So she's the one showing obvious signs. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Tracy Ann Roberts was 23 and a former erotic dancer. Uh, originally from Delaware, and she was a sex worker to feed her habit. Not sure which drug it was, but that's the other thing. These four are apparently all very heavily addicted. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tracy Ann Roberts, she did show signs of asphyxiation. So you have two that actually show. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people have said maybe there's a link there but most of it it seems to be the timing of and the fact that they're sex workers because that's right, the one thing that stood out we've talked about that especially of the Gilgo four we know less about batch the second batch but um only amber lynn costello is heavily into drugs when she goes missing the other ones might dabble a bit yeah, but they're they not seem heavily into at all exactly like maureen 
Maynard Barnes was doing it for fucking... Keep from getting evicted. Yeah, it was for her mortgage. And that's basically... I mean, there are a lot of other ones, but those are the ones I found as the basic, Mm -hmm. you know. And then the big one is James Burke and his involvement, his obstruction. What the... His love of snuff films. His love of snuff films, the seeming complete inactivity when he took over... Standing in the way of any invest, like what the fuck? Yeah. In this case, a lot of people are confused by that, as am I. Yeah. Because there's no question. I think if you look at this, there's a cover up. Yeah. Period. He was put in there as police chief to stop the investigation for some reason or delay it so it gets so old it's hard to do anything with, and he does a hell of a job with that. Yeah. He does. Now the question is why? Yeah. Was he connected to it? Or was he covering for other people? And that is so, yeah. Just like every other suspect. There's no definitive fucking... The obvious is, yeah, of course he's involved. He's talked about snuff films. There's also uh, John Ray found a uh, sex worker who said that she had a very rough experience with James Burke at one point, so... Yeah. He doesn't seem like the best, but I also wonder, maybe Spoda. Because Spoda's the guy who got that him there. Seems, yeah, right? Like He seems like the loyal type of cop that way. That maybe this is the guy who got me here. I will fucking jump on this grenade to cover your ass. So I also wonder how much D.A. Spoda was involved. Because yeah. he seems to get his fucking... He seems to really orchestrate a lot. He ends up in this way too much yeah. for me to be comfortable I hate everything about it. This fucking case has done me in. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was like, fuck, I hate to say this. I give him the, I could flip a coin and land on any fucking suspect and be like, today I feel like it's this. Tomorrow I might feel like it's somebody else. It's so fucked. And that's, you kind of hit exactly what I was going to say. It was kind of like, at one point, like I... I always want to have some type of narrative coming into a story. And this is kind of what I think. Whereas this was really hard with Lisk. And at a certain point, I just had to stop and let the current take me where it went. Yeah. Just give up. Just drift. Just drift. And that was it. And it was like, I don't know. Yeah. I, there are a few things I lean towards. You know, but. Shannon Gilbert being connected at least to the Gilgo 4. I'm not sure if the second batch is connected to the Gilgo 4. And the fact that... James Burke is covering and was covering for someone. Yeah. Whether it's himself or someone or other people. Or a ring. Or a ring, yeah. because there's a lot of talk about a ring. I can see it, man. Yep. Like shit. People in power do sick shit. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And that's basically our four parter on Lisk, unless my wife, lovely Gina, has anything to add. What's oh, I no, miss? I'm broken and done and <laughs> Oof. Did I miss anything? Oh, no. You did a good job. <laughs> uh, I hope this is coherent. I can't tell anymore. Right? This might be the biggest four-piece or four-part piece of shit that's <laughs> ever been laid out. I can't tell. It's just all fucking words on a screen. Uh, I, it's just so incoherent and complex. We've like, broken ourselves. I, I, that's why I'm doing Richard Chase next. Yeah. Brutal, simple, short. Yeah. Perfect. Like, I'm glad I've done Lesk. I'm glad... I'm glad this is the end of Lesk for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just can't wait. I'm glad I've pooped it out of my head. But mm. it's... Yeah, it's just... It's an impossible puzzle. It is. There's because... so much happening and so many parts and players. And mm-hmm. just... There's no one definitive answer without a lot more information. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. And uh, seeing how there was no information for years, yeah, no God investigation. Who knows really what was lost? Yeah, the missing pieces. Yeah, and like you said too, the little details about how were they found? Yeah, conditions. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Was it buried? Was it there under some debris? Was it wide details. open? Yeah. Was it just you know? Come on, give us something. And it's just like because nothing is independent of that stuff. Like that 
all matters. Well, that's also why I found, you know, I hate to be a dick, but why it's more important to go into the past of an unsolved because like the past of the victims, because there might be something there that is, that's the thing that brings it together. Exactly. This thing in this person's past, whereas I hate to say it, but when it's already solved, you know, it's like a solved puzzle. You don't have to worry too much. We can just give the quick, yeah, this person was born here and obviously had bad luck because Joachim Kroll fucking bashed him to death and then raped their goddamn corpse with his mega amount of jizz. You know, it's a little different. It's very different because there are so many pieces and nothing can be taken independent of another, even if they are independent. Whether Gilgo 4 is connected or not to the second batch yeah. you can't talk about one without looking at the other oh no because... absolutely yeah yeah so it's and that's why if you do look on forms and stuff online about lesk holy shit yeah just fucking threads and threads and threads of every possible suspect and angle and it makes sense because a lot of times that can just be people wasting time and you're just like, why are you down this rabbit hole? But most of these are like, no, if you go with these premises, this all makes sense. God fucking damn it. Yep. Yeah. Like this could just, this could become the list podcast if we wanted to. I just, I can't. I, I, no, 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 no. I can't let that happen, but <laughs> it very well could because there's so fucking yeah. much to unravel that we barely scratched the surface. They're really. Episode. That's just it, and that's why I kind of am just going over suspects and stuff because I don't know, and there's I don't know where to cut it off mm. either because that's where it could just keep rolling. Yeah, because there is no end. Yeah, because if you look into the connections of the the James Bissett dude, the uh, apparently he has connections with people in the SCPD and possibly with DA Spoda. So who fucking knows, right? So it just becomes. Who was the lady in this film that was stolen from Burke's car? Right? Pepe Sylvia, man. Total yeah. fuck. This is Pepe Sylvia. Yeah. This is the case. Told you. And I thank you for that, because I asked for a complex one. I yeah. don't think... I can't imagine what what's... You know, I don't know what could be more complex. Yeah. This is... Yuba County 5. <laughs> fuck. I don't know if it's more complex, though. That's uh, more fucked. Yeah. Yeah. What happened here? Exactly. Yeah. But I don't know if it's necessarily more complex with as many... It definitely doesn't have as many players and parts. Yeah. Yeah. Fair or enough. potential resolutions. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there's any potential resolution here? Oh, God, no. I mean, absolutely, yes. With proper... Maybe. But Even after this amount of time and this shitty of an investigation for like a decade? I never say never. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that too. I mean, they have, I hate to put it this way, but you have a lot to work with in a way. Yep. So. And technology just keeps getting better. So if there's actual work put into it, never say never. Well, that's true too. Because I mean, Bitrolf yeah. is only found because of genetic genealogy, which right. is someone sent, like one of his relatives sent something to fucking 23andMe or whatever. Yep. And they found out, oh, you're this guy's brother and we have his DNA at fucking murder scenes. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. Never say never. Fucking rats. <laughs> never send your DNA to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, unless my honey has anything to add. If you like that story, feel free to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever. Or just say hello in an email or a message right. or whatever. Just let us know you're out there. We're just going crazy. We don't make any money doing this. We're, we're just... Oh, yeah. We're fucking... No. This is an indie... This is a spite podcast. <laughs> we will never make money just out of pure, pure spite. Like, people right. have You'll to... You'll notice we have no ads. No, and we're no not, want yeah. for ads. No. I could possibly see sponsors that we actually like. Yeah. Like if Vans, right? like fucking shoes were like, hey, we want to sponsor your show. I would do a fucking sponsorship for Vans just to get goddamn shoes and clothing and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Our weed company? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. Coastal fucking Moncton was like, we know you smoke a lot of our weed and do edibles when you do your podcast. Absolutely. I would do a spot for them. But yeah. like advertising where you don't, you just put in a slot and say, put in the ad. I fucking refuse to do that. Same. That's, no. Yeah. No. 
I'm not going to pimp myself out to services that I don't use or believe in. That's just it. And this is just for fun. Yeah, This exactly. is the whole thing. This is just for fun for yeah. us. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is not a business. This is a fucking hobby we put way too much time into. Right? The minute uh, we start trying to make this a hustle, then it's not fun anymore. Well, that's just it. And honestly, it's part of... I mean, I don't know why we're babbling about this at the end of LISC, but part of why we even started this podcast wasn't about, can we make some money, blah, blah, blah. It was about, I, I mean, there are a couple podcasts that I like that are quite comedy-ish with terrible crime, i.e. last podcast on the left. Right. You know, the kings of it, pretty much, let's be honest. Yeah. Crime and sports, also a good one. Small town murders, same guys, blah, blah, blah. But there weren't enough, so we were like, what if we just did our own that we would like? Exactly. Yeah. And, and we that, try to do super solid research, which is another thing that we actually like. Yeah. While still you know, not Plus, being ridiculously serious. And yeah, because yeah. it can get dark. Oh, it can get terrible. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't a good one. No. No. And if it's just completely serious, then it just it's so... Hard to listen to you for three hours. The other part is ads. I fucking hate hearing ads at the start of, and then 15 minutes in, and then at the third. Like, fucking yeah. just have it in the middle. Give me a block. Let me get through it, and then just let me go. Those ones I can deal with. Yeah. But that's another reason for no ads, just because. Yeah. yeah. And if we were to, that's how we would do our sponsors. Like, right in the middle, just drop it. You can skip the next two minutes. Pick back Here's up at warning. this time stamp. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> after that rant, <sighs> until next time, have fun and play safe. Bye. Bye. You can email us at mentalillnesstheater at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media at Mental Illness Theater, the worst on Facebook, Mental Illness Theater on Patreon, and Unicorn Holes on Instagram.